Good morning, Woodlawn. What a joy to gather with the people of God and reflect on who He is and what He has done for us through this gospel narrative. I'd like to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and look with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 4, as we continue to make our way through this incredible declaration of God's revelation of Himself to His people. Exodus chapter 4, Exodus chapter 4, as we continue in this narrative. You'll remember in Exodus chapter 3, the Lord has indeed revealed Himself to Moses in one of the most unusual ways. Moses has been away from the people of God, from the nation of Israel for some 40 years. He's now 80 years old. The Lord speaks to him out of a burning bush experience. And we come to this narrative here in chapter 4 now, where God has given Moses a very specific task to go back to the nation of Israel. And we will see in this text that Moses continues with some opposition, if you will, to God. Moses is somewhat concerned about the task that God has given him. In fact, five times in this text, Moses protests against God's leading. Look first in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. Exodus chapter 3, verse 11 is the first protest that Moses gives to God. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Egypt, of Israel, out of Egypt? Look again at verse 13. Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. Then Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And we looked at this divine revelation of God last week as he communicated his very nature and character to his people. That's the second protest that Moses says to Yahweh, who shall I tell them send me? The third one occurs here in our text this morning in chapter 4, verse 1. And Moses says, well, okay, Lord, I know who you are. You're Yahweh. I know your character. I know your nature. But these people aren't going to believe me anyways. What good is it? Verse 1, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. The fourth protest that Moses gives occurs also in this text in verse 10, chapter 4, verse 10. But Moses says to the Lord, we might say again, Oh, my Lord. You can hear his protest there. Wait a minute, God. Time out. I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And then Moses' fifth protest happens in verse 13 in this text of Scripture, verse 13. But, he said, that's Moses said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Moses doesn't seem too eager to do what God has called him, does he? Moses doesn't seem very eager to step out on faith and believe 
God in this case. In fact, we see in verse 5 that the whole purpose of what God is doing in this, in this case is that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. But five times, Moses says to the Lord, God, essentially, find someone else. There are plenty of other people who, better, who are better equipped than I am to carry out the task that you have given me. We see in this text of scripture, in Exodus chapter four, verses one through 17, this truth, God uses signs. God uses signs to strengthen the faith of his people to encourage us in the mission God has given us. God uses signs to strengthen the faith of his people to encourage us in the mission God has given to us. Look what happens here in verses four through nine. Moses is going to raise this protest in verse one, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. We talked a little bit last week about the unique situation of Moses. Moses has been away from the people of God for 40 years. The last time the people of God, the nation of Israel, saw Moses, they saw him as a murderer, they saw him killing an Egyptian, and then they saw him as a coward, one who lacked courage. He fled from Egypt all the way down to Midian because he lacked courage. Of course, Moses isn't in a position where naturally he's gonna show up and say, hey, after 40 years, I have divine revelation for you. God has appeared to me. So we're not surprised, are we? That Moses would be concerned that the people of God would indeed not listen to him. But as God has done from the very beginning of this narrative, God is going to continue to do to prove himself mighty and powerful. God says, okay, Moses, I have a deal for you. So he gives to him the first sign. And what's gonna happen? Is that gonna be good enough for Moses? No. So God is gonna say to Moses, hey, I'll give you another sign. Will the third sign be good enough for Moses? Or second sign be good enough for Moses? No. So God is gonna give him a third sign here in this text. Let's see the narrative as it unfolds. Verse two, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And Moses said to him, a staff, a rod. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. Verse five, why? That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. 
So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Look at verse 8. Notice the words, if they will not, do you see it? Believe. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. Verse 9, if they will not believe, even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Moses, God, in this text, God assures Moses that the people will indeed believe him. Notice what God is ultimately doing here in this text. Who is God seeking to strengthen in this text of Scripture? Moses or the nation of Israel? Moses. The Lord is trying to strengthen the faith of Moses so that Moses might have a sense of confidence that God is indeed going to accomplish what God has promised to Moses, and not just to Moses, ultimately to the people of God, the nation of Israel. So the narrative unfolds. Moses is exceedingly concerned that the problem here is going to lie in himself. Lord, they are not going to believe me. They're not going to believe that you sent me. You would think after the burning bush experience that Moses would be ready to go back to the nation of Israel and Egypt, and he would have a story to tell, would he not? Hey, guys, I was minding my own business in the middle of nowhere, and behold, I turned and looked, and there was this bush that was continually on fire, and it burned, and it burned, and it burned, and then all of a sudden, the voice of God began to communicate from this bush. You would think Moses is... Got a story here, right? He's, he has a narrative. He's ready to tell it. And yet, even after God has shown himself to be powerful to Moses, Moses is still objecting to God in this text. Moses does not want to ultimately do as God has called him. Moses, at this point, we might say, is weak in faith. So what does God do? God says, Moses, I will give you three signs. And what are these three signs intended to do? Strengthen Moses' faith, which will ultimately strengthen the faith of the nation of Israel that they might believe. So the first sign, Moses, what's in your hand? A rod, great, throw it down on the ground. Moses throws a rod down on the ground. The Bible says the rod becomes a snake. And what does Moses do? Moses' first reaction to the snake is the majority of all of our first responses to a snake. Moses says, I'm gone, I'm out of here, I'm running. And the Bible tells us that Moses tucked tail and ran. But what does God say? Wait a minute, Moses, come back, dude, what are you doing? 
Not only do I not want you to be afraid of this snake, but I want you actually to reach down and grab the snake by the tail. And the Bible says that Moses reaches down, grabs the snake by the tail, and what happens to the snake? It reverts back to being the rod. Verse 5, why? That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has indeed appeared to you. The second sign, put your hand in your in your cloak, put your hand in your garment. He puts his hand in his garment, comes out, it is leprous. For what reason? So that the people of God may indeed believe. But if they won't believe that, the Lord says, I have another sign for them. I'm going to take the water that is in the Nile, and I am going to turn it to blood. All three of these signs that God has indeed given to Moses are signs that we see appear again in the narrative, particularly in this narrative when Moses actually does the mission that God has given him, and he goes to Pharaoh and he says to him, hey, let my people go, and Pharaoh won't do it. So not only are these signs functioning as a mean to strengthen the faith of of Moses and ultimately the faith of the nation of, of Israel, God is ultimately going to use these same signs to prove his might and his power to a group of people who do not believe. But this won't be the first group of people who will not believe in the power of God. The Pharisees during Jesus' time, did they believe in the power of God? Did they trust in the power of God that was displayed right before them through the person of Christ? a group of people who should believe, a group of people who should know the power of God, and yet they do not believe. Look with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark in Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verse 24. Mark chapter 12, verse 24. And Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? And what is the reason that they are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. If the Pharisees would have known the Scriptures and the power of God, what would they have done? The Bible tells us. Continue right there in Mark chapter 12 and look at verse 25. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. As for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. If the Pharisees had believed in the power of God, if the Pharisees had believed in the text of Scripture, the Bible tells us, Jesus says, they would have believed. This is the problem for the nation of Israel all the way back to the book of Exodus. 
the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter four is in so many ways like the nation of Israel in Mark chapter 12. They don't believe in the power of God. But see friends, God has the remedy to bring about faith in your life, to bring about faith in the lives of those who do not believe, and God has the remedy to strengthen the faith of those of us who do believe, but at moments are weak in our faith. God has given signs to his people to strengthen their faith. Why? So that they might be encouraged in the mission that God has given them. Notice what's going to happen here at the end of this text, beginning in verse 10 through verse 17. God is going to remind Moses of this mission that he has indeed given to him. And how does he do it? God assures Moses of his presence. God assures Moses of his presence. Moses protests again, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore, go. Live out your life on the mission that I have given you, and I will be with you. I will be with your mouth and teach. If you like to highlight or underline, we're going to come back to this word teach, and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. And the first reference to the anger of God in the Bible appears here. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. God in this text is doing for Moses what he's already done through the experience of the burning bush and what the nation of Israel will so desperately want as they make their way out of the nation of Egypt, cross the Red Sea, and make their way toward the promised land, and it is what God's people today want, the very presence of God himself. Notice how God communicates to Moses that he is indeed going to give Moses his very presence, and Moses understanding the presence of God being with him 
assures Moses that he can indeed accomplish the mission that God has given him. So Moses protests, verse 10, and then God says to him, I'm sorry, Moses. Maybe you don't understand who's in control here. Moses does what is natural for so many of us. God gives us a task. He gives us a mission. And for many of us, even flowing throughout our lives, is to look at the task as though the task, the mission, is completely dependent upon us. But notice what God is saying to Moses. I've not given you a task for which I'm not willing to equip you or that I have not equipped you. I'm not giving you a task that is ultimately dependent upon anything that you have, Moses. I'm giving you a task, and that task is completely dependent upon me, God says. In fact, God will go on to say to Moses, perhaps you've forgotten, Moses, that I am the creator. I am sovereign over all things. I sustain all things. I have created all things. Look what he says in verse verse 11. Who made man's mouth? What's the natural response to who made man's mouth? God. Who makes him mute or deaf or or seeing or, or blind? You might remember from John, Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees. They wanted to know why this man was born blind. Was it because of this man's sin or his father's sin? What does Jesus say that why the man was born blind? All things are working itself out for the glory of God. This is what Yahweh is communicating here in Exodus. This is what Jesus communicates in John. God exercises his power and might at times to do things that even according to us seem odd and strange, and yet he's doing it to communicate he ultimately is the one who is in control. God is the one who is determining these things. God is the one who has created. Moses, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid, Moses, to accomplish the the task that I've given you? You can sense some of God's frustration with Moses. Verse 12, Moses, just go ahead and get out of here. Do you see it? Now, therefore, go. Get out of here. It's like after you told your child the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time, the 200th time, there is no monster under your bed. Go to bed. Get in there. Nothing's going to get you, right? Go, Moses. Do what I've called you to do. For I am going to be with your mouth. And then notice this next word. And teach. And teach. The same verb used here for teach is the same verb that we get the word Torah from. What is the Torah? The Torah itself has come to be known as the first five books, ultimately, of of the Bible, but theologically, 
The Torah is the giving of the law, and the giving of the law is the giving of God's word to his people. It is a statement and assurance of God's very presence with his people. This is why when we get to the book of Habakkuk, and Habakkuk is completely distraught at what he is seeing in terms of culture. The nation of Israel has has been captured, they are, they're under siege, if you will, they're experiencing the, the greatest of all harms, they're being killed, the greatest brutality that you might be able to imagine has taken place, and Habakkuk levels these charges against the Lord, and the harshest of all charges that Habakkuk could level against God, Habakkuk, and Habakkuk chapter one says to, to God, It is though the Torah of God is paralyzed. What is Habakkuk saying when he levels a charge against God that the Torah of God is paralyzed? Habakkuk is saying to God, it's as though your presence isn't with your people. It's as though God himself is paralyzed and incapable of doing what he has promised to his people. God is saying to Moses, he is giving to Moses his assurance that his presence is indeed going to be with him as he seeks to accomplish this mission that God has given to Moses. I'm going to be with your mouth and I am going to teach you what you shall speak. In fact, seven times. Seven times in the book of Exodus, we will see this same verbal reference mentioned again in terms of teach, but at every instance, it is God assuring the nation of Israel, I am with you. And think of this in terms of the number of seven. Theologically, what is the number of seven communicating for us? Perfection, completeness. God's word to his people. The Torah is a sign of God's perfection to his people. Friend, we need nothing else than the revelation that God has given us to, through his word to assure your heart and my heart that indeed God is with us. In fact, this is the promise of Jesus, is it not? Jesus is going to ascend. And as Jesus is going to ascend, he gives his promise to his disciples that he's going to send to them another helper. This helper would be the Holy Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit going to do? The Holy Spirit is going to teach the people of God. He's going to recall to our minds all the things that God has spoken to us. This is what the Torah does. This is what the Spirit of God 
given to us by Christ is doing for us in our hearts and our lives now. If you are indeed a child of God, you can have the same assurance that Moses has as we think about the mission that God has given to us. How can we have confidence? We can have confidence because the Bible says that God is always with us. How is he always with us? He has given himself to us through the very presence of his spirit. And friends, where God leads us, where God calls us, God equips us. For even Jesus himself and John will remind us that he has only spoken what the Father has spoken to him. There is no revelation from Jesus that is not itself a direct revelation of the Father. And there is no division between the Father and the Son. For that which Jesus reveals is that which God has proclaimed. And so think about it in this way, friends. You and I now have the Spirit And the Spirit is taking those same words of Jesus and those same words of the Father and He's teaching it to us. And He's reminding us of it. And He's leading us through His Word and by His Spirit. And His Spirit and His Word is an assurance to you and me that we indeed have the very presence of God. But look again, the second of the seven times that this word teach is used in the book of Exodus occurs right here in our text. Look at the end of verse 15. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. This is God talking about the relationship between Moses and Aaron. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will do what? Teach you both what? to do. Here Jesus in John chapter 14, as he reminds us of this very truth. John chapter 14, verse 25, these things I've spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, what will he do? He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. God has given these signs to the nation of Israel, to Moses, so that their faith might be strengthened, might be strengthened, so that they might be encouraged to carry out the mission that God has given to them. But friends, in the same way, God is also doing that for you and for me. First, we read the entire narrative of the Gospel of John. And the entire narrative of the Gospel of John is centered around these seven signs that Jesus would perform. And why would Jesus or John center his entire narrative around seven signs? I'm glad you asked. In John chapter 20, Jesus reminds us exactly why 
he is given these seven signs. Exactly why he has written this down, John tells us, John chapter 20. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written for what purpose? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Friend, if you are here this morning and you do not believe in Jesus, please hear this text of Scripture from the Gospel of John. Jesus and the Gospel of John has shown himself mighty and powerful so that you might believe today that Jesus is indeed God incarnate. Why do we have these, these miracles noted? So that we might believe that Jesus is indeed God. Friend, would you today hear the narrative of this text of Scripture from Exodus? Would you see the might of God's power? Would you see his strength? And by that today, would you be convinced of the truthfulness that God is indeed real and that he has indeed expressed the height of his love for you and me and sending forth his son, Jesus. And indeed, friends, this is what God says to us in his word back to John chapter 12, Mark chapter 12 concerning the resurrection from the dead. There is no greater miracle that points to the truthfulness of Christ than the resurrection of Jesus. Every Sunday morning, this church gathers to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we gather on Sundays. Why? Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday. Would you believe this morning as this text in Exodus calls for the nation of Israel to be strengthened in their faith, would you this morning hear of the might and the power of God and believe in Christ? For the Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Confessing Jesus as Lord is an acknowledgement that Jesus is indeed God. That Jesus is indeed who he said he would be. This text not only reminds us God has given us signs so that it might bring about saving faith in the lives of those who do not believe. But this text also reminds those of us who do believe that God has indeed granted to us His presence. And His presence is a means of strengthening our faith so that we might live our lives out on the mission that God has given to us. And God, friends, has given us the mission to take the gospel of Christ around the world. God has given us the mission to be kind and gracious and loving. God has given you parents a mission to raise your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. God has given you husbands a mission to love your wives like Christ loves the church. God 
has given you wives a mission to submit your lives to your husbands as we collectively submit our lives to Christ. But can we acknowledge, friends, that in every one of those tasks, there's always difficulty. It is not always easy for me, Lewis, to love my wife like Christ of the church. Why? Because I'm selfish at times. Why? Because I'm self-centered at times. It's not always desirous. I don't always have the desire in my heart to proclaim the gospel of Christ to those around me. But friends, regardless of the mission that God has given to us, this text assures us that I can indeed love my wife like Christ loved the church. Why? Because Jesus is with me. Because Christ is with me. I have his spirit. You can, friend, take the gospel of Christ to a neighbor next door that you find to be so difficult to converse with. You can overcome your fear of flying and getting on a plane and going to a foreign country and declaring the beauty and the glory of God in Christ. Why? Because Jesus is with you. God is with us this morning, church. God has given us his power, his very presence, his very word. We can indeed accomplish the mission that God has given to us. Jesus, like Moses, spoke what God gave him. And this text reminds us that we, like Moses and like Aaron, should also speak what God has given us. God has given us his word, friends. Did you hear what God said to, to Moses? Okay, Moses, you can't speak. You're not all that good at it. Don't worry. In fact, Moses, I know all things. God's omniscience knows that Aaron is coming. Perhaps Moses doesn't even know that Aaron is coming, but God knows that Moses, Aaron is coming. It tells us. Your brother's on his way. God says, Moses, I'm going to speak to you. I'm the revealer. Moses, you're going to be a prophet to Aaron, and Aaron is going to go and publicly proclaim what God has spoken. And friends, this is what God has called you and me to do. God has given us his word through his prophet, and you and I are to be a public revealer of the truths of God's word. To whom are you declaring the word of God? To whom are you being a public revealer? What neighbor of yours desperately needs to hear the truth that man was created by God 
and fell into sin because of their rebellion against God, but God in his goodness and his kindness did not leave us in our sinful state separated from God, but God sent forth his son, Jesus. For the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Who in your sphere of influence needs to hear this glorious and great truth? Who in your sphere of influence do you need to be an Aaron to or towards? And like Moses, this text reveals to us that we are not to be dependent upon the wisdom and persuasiveness of human speech, but completely dependent upon the Word of God. Is this not what Paul himself says of his own ministry in 1 Corinthians? Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2. Paul reminds us that we too are to rely on the power of God's word and not on human speech. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse. Let's begin reading in verse 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. For what purpose? That your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In fact, Paul says this is what's so daunting of a task as we think of ourselves as being ambassadors of Christ. I'm not to speak what I want to speak. I'm to speak what God has already spoken. But there is a daunting task to speaking what God has already spoken. See, friends, as ambassadors of Christ, you and I, like Moses and Aaron, stand in God's direct line of revelation between those who do not believe and between a father, a God who has created. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as he reflects upon the missionary task that God has given to him. Listen as he writes these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. Do not tamper with God's word, he says. We don't do it. But by the open statement of truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled. It is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Listen to what Paul says in verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts 
to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul reminds us that we too stand like he in this direct line of revelation, and it matters how we communicate God's word. If you miscommunicate God's word, friend, it's the difference between life and death. If you miscommunicate, if you misrepresent the truth of God's word, it's the difference between eternity lived with God and eternity lived separated in a devil's hell. What message of revelation are you proclaiming? But don't miss it. God, I said from the very beginning, gives signs to his people that their faith might be strengthened, encouraged, so that we might live out our lives on mission with God. The temptation might be to hear that declaration, God gives signs. That's indeed what exactly happened in Exodus chapter 4. God gave signs. But perhaps you might be tempted this morning to think that indeed this is how God is still working to strengthen in your faith. So you're still waiting for that still small voice to whisper something in your ear. Or perhaps you've laid out your fleece, hoping for God to give some type of direction in that way. Or perhaps you're waiting for God to grant a dream so that you might know in which direction you should take. Hear the word of God. For God has given to you and me a final, complete powerful sign and we do not need another sign to be strengthened in our faith than that which God has given through his word. Listen to the text of scripture. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Peter speaking in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 16. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter is speaking of that moment in which he was on the mountain of transfiguration with Jesus. For we, when, we, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Verse 19, and we have something more certain, more sure. The prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Jesus says, or Peter says, we have something more sure than even the direct revelation of the very presence of Jesus himself. 
What is that which is more sure? What is that which is more prophetic, if you will? The very prophetic word of God. And for how long is the goodness and the greatness and the power and the might of God's word sufficient? Was it only good enough for the apostles? Was it only good enough for first and second century Christianity? Was it only good enough for Christianity following the great awakenings? No. For how long is the word of God the sufficient sign of God to elicit faith and trust, to strengthen faith and trust in our hearts and our lives. Peter says it is sufficient until the return of Christ. Why? Knowing first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God does give signs. This is the testimony of the narrative of Scripture, and He has given to you and me a final sign. The Word of God. Is the Word of God strengthening your faith today, friend? Moses says, Lord, what am I going to do here? Perhaps you're having conversations with a member of this own church who, who you're discipling, and that person is facing some intense situations in life. How will that person's faith be strengthened? Perhaps you're having conversations with a friend who doesn't believe, who's not trusted in Christ and Him crucified. Or perhaps you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ. How shall you believe? The very word of God. There is no other sign needed, church, to strengthen your faith to accomplish the mission that God has given you. There is no sign needed to strengthen the faith of this church collectively for us to live out our lives on the mission that God has given us collectively. And friend, if you're here today and you do not believe in Jesus, there is no other sign that you need to bring about faith and trust and hope in your life than the sign that God has given through his word. If you want your faith strengthened, Christian, or if you want to come to saving faith believer, do so by reading and hoping in and trusting in God's complete, final, all-sufficient word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that indeed you have given to us signs, and the final sign, the revelation of yourself through your word. And through that, God, this morning, we would ask that you, like you did for Moses, like you did for the nation of Israel, would indeed strengthen our faith and our hope and our trust in you. Would you take a few moments where you're seated this morning and just reflect on the preaching of God's word today?
In what ways or in what way do you see your life, your faith, being strengthened through the sign of God's word? Are you spending time in God's word, friend? Are you reading God's word? Your faith, my faith, the faith of this church will never be strengthened in a means for which God did not intend. It will only be strengthened through the means through which God has intended by His Spirit and through His Word. Would you recommit this morning your life to reading God's Word? Would you renew and ask God to renew in you a desire for His Word? For those of you who are here today that believe, to whom are you being an Aaron? With whom are you sharing the gospel? Would you ask God to grant you the courage and the strength, as he did for Moses, to live out your life on mission with him? If you've not been as faithful to live out your life on mission with Christ, would you ask God for forgiveness of that this morning where you're seated and ask him by his spirit to strengthen your faith? And thirdly, friend, if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, you've never believed, would you believe today? Would you cry out to God to save you? The scripture says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God is raising from the dead, you shall be saved. An acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord is an acknowledgement that he's God. It's an acknowledgement that you can't save yourself, that you desperately need God to save you. Believing that Jesus rose from the dead is a statement of faith that Jesus is indeed who he claimed to be, that Jesus is God. Would you believe today, friend? In just a few moments, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's word. If, if you're here today and you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ, Please feel free to turn to someone seated next to you. There are plenty of people in the auditorium this morning that will be glad to share with you how you can trust in Christ. Myself and Pastor Travis will be standing down front. If you'd like for one of us to share with you how you can trust in Christ as we sing, please feel free to come forward and speak with one of us. Secondly, maybe you would like for one of us to pray with you that indeed your faith might be strengthened. There's no greater way for us to shepherd your hearts than by praying for you. We would delight to pray for you that God, through his word and by his spirit and through his church, might strengthen your faith. Or thirdly, maybe God has impressed upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with him. This would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. Lord, as we respond to you now, may our response be pleasing, we pray in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me as we sing?